0: I'm honored, Pastor Aaron, thank you for inviting me in to be a a leader in this church and acknowledging uh, my leadership in this way. Uh, But uh, don't let anything that happened here on this platform diminish the truth that we are a priesthood of believers, that we are a kingdom of priests that through Christ, we have, all of us, every one of us has direct access to the Father and a direct call upon our lives to bring the kingdom of God here, Amen. to preach the good news, to love our neighbor. You are a pastor of your neighborhood, of your family. Just as I desire to take to heart this calling and this responsibility on my life. Take to heart the responsibility and the calling that you have upon yours. You are called by God to do the good things he planned for you long ago. Amen. Would you stand with me? Let's read the word together. This is a scripture out of the lectionary for this week. We, as we lead up to Easter, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised up with him, and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for the good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. So I wrote down a few words <clears throat> on this occasion, just to share with you. and I'd like to start by reading that. I'm honored to be called your pastor. I warn you, though, I'm a liar and a cheater and a people pleaser and a sinner. I'm prone to wonder, and I often cave to fear. I'm sometimes confused and often full of doubt. I make poor choices. I speak out loud to myself and call myself an idiot and a fool. I'm a deceiver and a manipulator, often most so to my own self. I'm a broken soul. But I am also a child of the Most High God. I'm adopted into His family. And He has given me a new name. Loved and beloved son, and I am the object of his great affection, of his grace and mercy. I am not wealthy, but I am overflowing with riches. I have a storehouse of heavenly treasures. I am created for eternity. I am holy. I stand boldly before him and before you today, and I come not in the confidence of my own work but in the truth of the completeness of his work on the cross, which is the assurance of the strength of his love, a love that is stronger than death. And this death he has laid to rest in my own soul. I am resurrected, alive with Christ, and I am called, I am a shepherd who speaks words of life that call people nearer to Jesus. So today I want to talk to you about one thing, and that's I want to talk to you about your soul. And you're like, man, did we just step back like 50 years, old-fashioned camp meeting and say, <laughs> yeah, some of you know, that, know what I'm talking about. Um, but words have this way of carrying baggage, don't they? They carry with them like a little, a little four-letter word like soul, right? We all, through our experiences, through our life, through the positive and negative interactions we've had with this word, we have created a little luggage cart that carries along. When someone says soul, it hits you with all that weight, right? And what do you think about when you hear the word soul? Some of you think like soul music, right? Some of you are hungry, you think it's soul food, yeah, hallelujah, (laughs) right? That that blesses the Lord when I eat soul food, right? You want to find a soulmate, some of you. Your eyes are the window to your soul. He's an old soul. Or have you sold your soul to the devil, right? Or, Or who will save your soul, okay? Or maybe you drive a Kia soul, okay? That's what you think of. You think of a little boxy car, you know? But the truth is that we all sense in our humanity that there is something that lies within us that is deeper. Something that lies within us that is beyond human. That reaches across the divide of life and death into eternity. Something deep inside of us that's stirring there. And it's not something that we can look in the mirror and see. But we know it's there. And I want to read you a story out of this book called Soul Keeping. It's a fantastic book by John Ortberg. But he tells this story, and I relate this to you today. There once was a town high in the Alps that straddled the banks of a beautiful stream. The stream was fed by springs. that were old as the earth and deep as the sea. The water was clear like crystal. Children laughed and played beside it. Swans and geese swam on it. You could see the rocks and the sand and the rainbow trout that swarmed at the bottom of the stream. And high in the hills, far beyond anyone's sight, lived an old man who served as the keeper of the springs. He had been hired so long ago that now no one could remember a time when he wasn't there. He would travel from one spring to another in the hills, removing branches, or fallen leaves, or debris that might pollute the water. But his work was unseen. One year, the town council decided they had better things to do with their money. No one supervised the old man anyway. They had roads to repair and taxes to collect and services to offer, and giving money to an unseed stream cleaner had become a luxury they could no longer afford. So the old man left his post. High in the mountains, the springs went untended. Twigs and branches and worse, muddied the liquid flow. Mud and silt compacted the creek bed. Farm wastes turned parts of the stream into stagnant bogs. And for a time, no one in the village noticed. But after a while, the water was not the same. It began to look brackish. The swans flew away to live elsewhere, The water no longer had a crisp scent that drew children to play by it. Some people in the town began to grow ill. All noticed the loss of sparkling beauty that used to flow between the banks of the streams that fed the town. The life of the village depended on the stream, and the life of the stream depended on the keeper. The city council reconvened, the money was found, and the old man was rehired. And after yet another time, the springs were clean. The stream was pure. Children played again on its banks. Illness was replaced by health. The swans came home. The village came back to life. The life of a village depended on the health of the stream. The stream is your soul and you are the keeper. Only you can keep your soul. Only you can care for the soul. The stream is your soul and you are the keeper. The soul is the only eternal part of you. And you must care for it. Later in the book he says, Because my inner life is invisible, it's easy to neglect. No one has direct access to it, so it wins no applause. And how many times do we spend our precious resources and energy motivated By the things that win people's applause. And yet our soul goes untended. Let me rephrase that. How many times do I do that? And my soul goes untended. This is a human condition. This is not something that some of us deal with and some of us do not. We are all the keepers of our souls. And we all fail to tend the soul. At times. I want you to look at Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 27. It says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Think about that. Do you believe in eternal life? Do you believe that there is life after life? Like Not just do you believe it, like you've been taught that your whole life, but do you really believe that there is life after this life? That there is eternal life? This is the essential question of the human existence. This is the essential question That we're longing to answer when we look into the word of God. And this man, he's asking Jesus, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. You know, we ask kids, maybe you've asked your kids this or you were asked this as a child. What do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to do? Where will you go? We ask teenagers, where do you want to go to college? What do you want to do when you get out of college, right? And there's nothing wrong with those questions except that in subtle ways it hardwires us to wrap our identity around things that are external, to wrap our identity around what we do, where we are, how it will happen, when it will happen, right? And yet God is not primarily concerned with the answer to what, when, how, or where. His primary desire is that you would answer the question of who are you? Who will you be? Because if you can answer who you are and you can know with clarity who you are, then the what, when, why, how, and where will take care of themselves. It doesn't matter at the same time if you answer all the other questions and you don't know who you are because you are a large, nice, pretty building with a foundation on sand. That when the storms come and the calamity comes, it's all toppled over. But when you build your house on the rock foundation of Jesus Christ and understanding who you are in him, you can build a tower. You can build an empire. As long as you are humbly submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Who are you? Maybe we should start asking our children that. Instead of what do you want to do when you grow up, how about who do you want to be when you grow up? Maybe you should ask yourself that question. Stop fussing over what you want to do and when it's going to happen and where it's going to be and start asking, God, who do you want me to be? I pray that he would answer, help you to answer that question and explore that. I want to play a little game with you right now, okay? So we're going to go back to elementary school, all right? Take yourself back there. You're like, some of you are like, I loved elementary school. Some of you are like, I hated it. It was worse than middle school, okay? Whatever, if you, whatever you're feeling, okay? We're going to go back to elementary math, All right, do a little quiz here, okay? This is what I call the integer game, okay? And I'm gonna put a number up on the screen, and you're gonna raise your hand if you believe that that is an integer or it's not, okay? So if it is, you're gonna raise your hand. And then the number itself is going to turn green if it is, or red if it's not, okay? Are you ready? Don't be embarrassed, or be embarrassed, that's fine. Uh, uh, It's elementary math, okay? We can all learn something today. So let's go with that first number, The number one, is this or is it not an integer? If it is, raise your hand. Okay, let's see if it is. Oh, yes, indeed it is. All right, next number. We have the number 47. 47, is it an an integer? Let's see. Yes, it is. All right, next. We've got three-eighths. Three-eighths, is that an integer? Anybody? No, it is not. All right. Let's, uh, number five. Raise your hand if, if number five. Let's see it. Yes, it is. Uh-huh. Some of you are real smart. Some of you are like, I'm not raising my hand. I don't care. <laughs> I'm just I'm protesting this game. I'm... <laughs> Point five, is it an integer or not? Raise your hand if it is. All right, it is not. All right, let's go to the next one. Four fourths. Anybody? It's a little bit tricky right here, all right? Raise your hand. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. How about the next one, the last one here? One million eight hundred seven thousand four hundred sixty-eight. Is that an integer? Raise your hand if it is. And yes, it is. Yes, it is. Thank you, guys. You did so well. Five out of ten was awesome. You know, good job. Good job. Okay, um, but here's the deal. This word "integer" actually finds its root in Latin. It's a Latin. It's a combination of two Latin words, "in," and Tengere, okay? So in, in in Latin means in, in English, okay? That's easy, all right? Tengere means to touch. So the, the thought or the idea is that there are parts of this whole, but they are touching, they are whole together. So an integer also is the foundation, the root word of our word, integrity. The opposite of integer is fraction, right? Is things in parts and pieces. So when we speak of our life, when we speak of our soul, God desires that we would be people of wholeness and integrity. A person without integrity is a fractioned person you know these people you are these people okay i am this person you say one thing and you do another right or or you believe one thing with your mouth but your life says differently or you do different things in secret when no one is looking than in public or you stand up in public with a great and give a great religious prayer and yet You're doing it because of your own pride and not because of the glory of God. And we are fractured people. This is what James refers to as a double-minded man. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways because here's the deal. The soul is what brings life and wholeness and meaning to your heart, your body, your mind, and the will of God. And when you are all aligned, when those things are aligned, you have integrity. And God's desire for us is that we would be souls that live with integrity all the way through. That our souls would be aligned with our hearts, that would be aligned with our minds, that would be aligned with our bodies and what we do, and all those would be aligned and fixed on the will of God. That's God's perfect will for us. Dallas Willard says this, Our soul is like a stream of water which gives strength, direction, and harmony to every other area of our life. When that stream is as it should be, we are constantly refreshed and exuberant in all we do because our soul itself is then profusely rooted in the vastness of God and His kingdom, including nature and all else within, is enlivened and directed by that stream. Therefore, we are in harmony with God, reality, and the rest of human nature and nature at large. God desires for us to live. He created us to live in harmony within. All these parts and pieces of us, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, to love your neighbor as yourself, to do these things means to live in alignment, to live with integrity before the Lord. And yet, what's your problem? Don't you hate it when people ask you that? like like what's your problem what's my problem what is the problem why why can't we live that way right you know that feeling when you're living that way when when you really are living what is it what is the real result of that you feel refreshed you feel light you feel free you feel this life and this life more abundantly that Jesus promised to us and yet When you're not living with that integrity of your soul and the rest of your life, what happens? You feel tired because it takes energy to put on the outside when the inside is broken, doesn't it? And you're weary of covering it up. What's our problem? Our problem is this, is that sin disintegrates the soul or disintegrates the soul, if you want to say it that way. Same picture. Sin breaks the soul and the body and the mind and the heart and our life into pieces. It causes us to live in ways that are different from the ways that we say we want to live. This is the the whole picture of what Paul gives us when he says, "I, I want to do. My heart wants to do the right thing, and yet I don't do what I want to do. What is wrong with me? Anybody feel that way? And you may not use words like, like soul, like, oh, whew, my soul is really broken right now. <laughs> you, don't, you may not say that, but you may say things like this. I feel like my life is falling apart, or I just can't seem to get myself together. I can't get my act together. I seem to be going to pieces. The stuff has hit the fan. I said stuff, okay, just... I'm coming apart at the seams. We're like the old fairy tale character, Humpty Dumpty, who's fallen and crushed into a thousand pieces, and we feel like the hopeless pieces that are broken on the ground, and we feel impossibly broken, and we feel like our repairing is impossible we are struggling with the weight the crushing weight of all that is before us the brokenness that is within us what sin does john ortberg says is it breaks the connection with god and his love and it disintegrates one's life so if that's our problem then what's the answer The answer is that grace and mercy reintegrate the soul. When we read in Ephesians, he started off by saying, you were dead in your trespasses and sin. You were following the course of this world. You were were just like the sons of disobedience. You were carrying out the desires of your body and mind and by nature, you were like a child of wrath. But God, rich in mercy, Because of his great love, even when you were dead in your trespasses, made you alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised up and seated with him in the heavenly places. God has put eternity in your heart. God has put eternity in you in the form of your soul. Grace and mercy reintegrate the soul, for by grace... You have been saved through faith. Not of works, so that any of us can boast about it. But you, you are God's workmanship. And he has created you brand new. He has done the miraculous thing that you thought was impossible. He has taken your soul and all those pieces scattered around that no one could put back together again. And He has said, Come and I will give you grace and mercy and wholeness again. And I will give you water for your soul. Water that when you drink it, you will never thirst again. That's the picture that Jesus paints for us. That's the work of the cross. And here's the deal. The work of the cross is work that you cannot do. The work of putting back together your soul and making you whole again is work that you cannot do. You know why I know that? Because you've tried. I've tried. You've tried to be good and you've tried to do your best, but your soul is still broken. There is still disintegration in your life and you are struggling. You're, you're fighting for it. But stop fighting to save your soul. Because it is not work that you can do. The work of grace and mercy is complete and it is free for you. Now, here's the beauty of this it doesn't mean that we don't work, it just means that we don't work for our salvation. Because what is, I love this scripture because it says, You are God's masterpiece, created anew in Christ. So that, and any time you see so that in Scripture, wake up, listen, listen closely because he's saying this is the purpose. This is why I just said that. This is why all of this, all of this was said so that you can do what? The good work that he planned for you long ago, long before the brokenness of your soul. Long before your betrayal. Long before you were dead in your trespasses. Long before that. And his work and his plans for you can be restored. You think you're too far gone. You think you have ruined and messed and stained the plans of God. But Jesus said, come to me. I will make you whole again. I will wipe away the stain of your sin. And I will set you to work for my kingdom. The work of Jesus is work that we cannot do. But the work of the kingdom is work that we must do. And that is why you are being put back together, integrated, locked in place, little by little, turn by turn. You are putting in this place. You are working out your salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that God has put a weight upon you to share the good news of Jesus with the world around you. To share that every one of us has eternity in us. I love this scripture in Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin. Why are we doing it? Because it just messes us up. It makes us walk like this. We can't run a race like with our back out of alignment. You can't run the race with your soul and your heart and your mind and your body disintegrated and messed up. We're seeking to lay aside the weights and the sin and run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. What does a soul that lives with integrity look like? It looks like Jesus. You look at Jesus, you'll see the integrated life, a soul, a heart, a mind, and a body that are unified together. Listen to this. We look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Everything that Jesus said and did was to get you to focus on eternity was to get us to focus through the, joy, through the pain, through the suffering, through death... to the other side into eternity. Read the Gospels. Go back and start reading Matthew with this filter. If everything that Jesus said was to get me to think about eternity... How does that change what I think of? Because Jesus was not just some good self-help teacher. He said some things that would help you, but he said it from the perspective of fixing your eyes on eternity, looking through the pain and the struggle of this life, through death even, into eternity. That's how we fix our eyes on Jesus. That's how our souls become aligned with the purposes of God. Because you were not just made for this life. You were truly made for eternity. You are not of this world. You are a stranger and an alien here. Anybody ever feel like that? You're like, I don't fit here. It doesn't work for me here. But it doesn't work for you here because you were made for another place. You were made to be someone who is eternal, who is in full and complete and and unified fellowship with Jesus Christ, your Savior, who is your soul longs to drink. The water, the pure water of the Spirit of God. And he gives us a taste of that with his Holy Spirit. He gives us a taste of that here. But there will be a day when all these other things will pass away. And you will stand with your Savior and you will drink deeply the water of his word. The water that will never run dry. A fountain of eternity that will not be. That will not run dry. See, this is why Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. Look at this scripture. You've heard it before, John three sixteen For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have what? Eternal life. There it is. Right there before our eyes. For God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the, in order that the world might be saved through him. And he's asking you and me to do the same. Look through the suffering. Oh, death, where is your sting? What can man do to me? What can they do to you? You're an eternal soul. What can they do? What can this life do to you? What can circumstances do to you when your eyes are fixed on eternity? When you see through, as Jesus did, all the way across the divide between life and death, and you see him seated at the right hand of the Father, and that Ephesians scripture says that we are there with him. He's given us that authority to stand beside him. Now, in order to care and keep your soul, I know we got just a couple minutes here. But listen, I could give you a list of all kinds of spiritual disciplines. But listen, if your soul and heart and mind and body aren't aligned, spiritual disciplines don't answer the question. They can be as empty as anything. Read the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter six, where Jesus talks about the religious leaders who are just praying just to be heard and, and they're washing the outside of the cup but not washing the inside of the cup. You fools, you whitewashed tombs. Why are you doing this? this is, you have all this beautiful religious stuff but your soul is it's empty and broken and dry and in disrepair. Listen, it's not about spiritual disciplines. Even though I think spiritual disciplines are powerful, it's about aligning whatever you do In word or deed, Colossians 3.17, do it all in the name of Jesus Christ. Luke 9, take up your cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? You've got to have the guts to call out disintegration, that lack of integrity inside of you. When you see it, and sometimes you don't see it, right? But when the Holy Spirit reveals that to you, when you see the places where God's will and your soul that is formed and and, and renewed by Jesus doesn't line up with the way you're living, you've got to have the guts to call it out. And the way we call it out is through confession. Confess your sins one another. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteous and realign our life with his purpose. Amen? Amen. Confession, surrender, those are words that you need to remember. Those are the words of realigning the soul with God's purposes. Your heart will deceive you. Your mind will convince you of all kinds of half-truths and your memory will fail you, but the soul knows. In the end, the soul will tell the real story. In the end, when you stand before Jesus, it won't be your mind or your words or your heart or how you feel about it. It will be your soul. What is the state of your soul? What is the state of your stream, O oh, keeper of the stream? Jesus is the taste of eternity. The Holy Spirit is the deposit of our great and eternal inheritance. Do not neglect your soul. Your soul will tell the true story. In hell, I don't know all about it. I don't know exactly what it looks like, but I do know it's a place where this thirst for God that only God can quench will never be met, will never be quenched. Hell will be like being in the middle of an ocean of salt water and drinking your fill, but your thirst only becoming deeper and deeper. But this is the hope we have in Christ. We are not bound By this body, this heart, this mind, our circumstances may become desperate. We are pressed but not crushed. We are persecuted, not abandoned. We are struck down but not destroyed because we are eternal. What can man do to you when you have eternity in your heart? No circumstance, no affliction, no suffering can take that away. So to answer the question, who are you? You are an eternal soul. We speak about Jesus. We surrender our lives to him. We preach the message of Jesus, not from a place of fear, not from a place of cowering back and huddling around. We preach with boldness. We preach with passion. We run into the battle. We run to the places where death is imminent. Why? Because death wears your sting. You can't kill me. I'm already dead. I've already surrendered and laid down my life before Jesus. So go ahead. Do your worst, but know there is a reckoning day coming where Jesus, the judge, the one who rules over all will come and he will show you your place and righteousness will rule and his holiness and his glory will reign and the king above all kings will stand and every knee will bow and every tongue confess. So whatever evil is in this world, whatever is getting your heart down, Whatever is stealing your hope, do not let it steal your hope any longer. You are eternal. And Christ will rule. He will come and set things right. Justice will roll down like mighty rivers. He will set things right. That is the hope we have in Christ. It is not an empty hope. It is not just some platitude. It's not just some empty dream. It is the faith that rises up in us. It is the truth of Jesus Christ that will come to pass. Who are you? You are an heir to the kingdom of God. And if you are surrendered to Christ, your life is not your own. You are resurrected just like Jesus. Who are you? You are an eternal and resurrected soul. These are the answers to that essential question for you. He is the resurrection and the life. He's the answer to that soul longing for meaning. He's the wholeness you seek. He's the taste of eternity. He's the one who takes your fractured life and puts it back together again. He's the one whose promises are not for this life and therefore are unaffected by earthly circumstances. He is the one who brings rest to your soul. So who are you? You, in Christ, are a once broken soul, now mended for the mending healed for the healing, longing for the day that he will call us home. Friend, that healing is yours. That wholeness is yours in Christ Jesus. All you have to do is reach out and take it. So I want you to bow your head, close your eyes. And if you're in this place and you you feel broken in your soul, you feel like your life is falling apart, I'm gonna invite you to come and look at Jesus. Come and and lay your life at at the cross, at the foot of Jesus. Lay it down and let him bring wholeness to your soul. If you're in that place today, I just want you to raise your hand real quick. I want you to say, I want to be whole again. I, want, I need Jesus to make me whole. Would you raise your hand? Have courage today. Take courage. He is with you. Amen. Thank you. Amen.